scripture this morning um, is Acts chapter 2, so Pentecost part 2, um, 14 through 41. Acts chapter 2, 14 through 41. Follow along on the screen, on the screen, if you got it, you know the drill. Uh, before we read, let's pray together. God, we are grateful uh, to, to gather in this place uh, again, to lay down our lives uh, before you, to bow down, to worship, um, to just give ourselves to you again, and to remind ourselves that we belong to you. And uh, in these next few moments and minutes, we pray that you would open us up so that we could, so we could hear your word, so that you would, your voice would be the voice that's heard this morning, and uh, change us somehow, even though change is hard. Transform us, make us new, so that we can better represent you, Jesus, in this world. Amen. Acts chapter 2. So, just to remind you of what, and we talked a little bit about it last week, um, the, the followers of Jesus were all together in one place, uh, maybe in that same upper room where Jesus had promised them that he would send them the Spirit when suddenly the sound of a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole place where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. It's just this fantastic story. And then Luke, who wrote Acts, it's kind of his part two of his Jesus story. Uh, he tells us that uh, in Jerusalem, there were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And then he lists a whole bunch of them. And they all began to hear the wonders of God in their own language. And some people were like, what's happening here? These people are drunk. And then now Peter stands up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Come on, man, give us a break. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is what you're seeing right here, he says. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. 
Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what do we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. We will go that far. Kind of just throws that last line in there. Eh, about 3,000 joined the group that day. No big deal. 3,000 people. That's a lot of people. There's a lot of people. The thing went boom. So years ago, here at Renew, I told a longer version of the story that I'm about to tell you. Uh, so the story is about this man who was speaking at a, at a conference for Christian healers. Uh, so at this conference, there were doctors, there were nurses, there were therapists, there were pastors, people. If you were in the business of healing people, if that was your calling, your gift, you, what you did, you like went to this conference. There were about 600 people there, right? And at the conference, he was telling them this story, the story in Luke chapter 8 about how Jesus uh, healed this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and then he went and healed uh, Jairus' daughter. Um, and then after that, he asked them the question, who do you most identify with in the story? And about 100 of them said uh, they identify with the bleeding woman, so they had had some sort of sickness that they had been dealing with for a very long time, and, and they received some healing for that. About 200 people said they identified with the anxious father, so they had a loved one who was sick or dealing with something, and uh, they either needed healing for their loved one or they experienced healing for their loved one, but the majority of the people identified with the confused and anxious crowd looking on, being like, what is happening here in this Jesus? And only six people, 1% of the people present, said they identified with Jesus in the story. So here's a bunch of healers. This was their gig, their calling in life. And only six of them identified with the one in the story bringing healing 
to the world, to these people's lives. And back then, I made the hypothesis that if we were going to do this exercise here now, most of us, with this story or another story about Jesus, most of us uh, would probably identify with some of the people in the story, but very few of us would actually identify with Jesus in the story. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, that still strikes a nerve with me. I, I, I still find that fascinating, right? The fact that we don't necessarily closely identify our lives with the life of Jesus. I hope that fascinates you. I mean, really, when we read the stories about Jesus in the Bible, we, we don't normally step into his sandals, right? And I think I, think I, I, think I might know one of the reasons why. Because when we read stories about Jesus in the Bible, we see Jesus and, and it's almost like, like he's way up here. Jesus is so up here. We talk about him as being sinless. We talk about him as being, being perfect. And then we think about our lives and we're like, if Jesus is way up here, then we're like somewhere way down here. Like we've, we're, we're, we're sinful and we're we're so far from perfect, right? So we think of Jesus as up here, and we don't feel like we can identify our lives with the life of Jesus because Jesus is just so Jesus, right? Like, how can we ever, how can we ever do that? Here's the deal. There's this guy named Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. Are you familiar with him? Um, if you're not, look up the New Testament. He, he wrote like a bunch of letters to churches. You'll find him in the book of Acts too. Um, anyway, the greatest missionary in the history of the planet, greatest church planner in the history of the world, guess what? He wrestled with this idea too. Like he struggled with this as well. Listen to some of the things that he wrote about himself. This is from, you can find this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He said this, Here's a trustworthy saying and worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul, the greatest missionary in the history of ever, thinks of himself as the worst sinner ever. He said this about himself in Romans chapter 8. What a wretched man am I. And I'm like, Paul, you got to give yourself a break, man. Like, you sound like you need some therapy. And that's not a bad thing. You know, we all at times in life need some therapy. What a wretched man am I. If you find yourself in the place where that's what you're saying about yourself, it's okay. Ask for some help. Paul, I think you need some help. So Paul struggled with this too, right? And yet, out of the same mouth, Paul is also able to say this, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Like, what's going on here? Right? You see, I think Paul recognized one of the, one of the most beautiful things about this thing we call the good news. You see, Paul recognized that, yeah, Jesus is way up here. And it seems like no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we put into it, we can never live up to that. We can never get there. But here's one of the most beautiful things, I think, about this thing we call good news. We 
don't have to. Why? Well, because we don't have to make it up there. Because Jesus came down here to where we are. Jesus said it. We talked about it last week. He said this, the Father will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans, he said. I will come to you. And at Pentecost, that's what happened. The spirit, the counselor, the helper, the advocate, the one who, the one who comforts and encourages the one who teaches and guides, the one, the one who gives power and strength. The Spirit is nothing less than Jesus moving from the outside to the inside. The Spirit is God making our hearts, our lives, God's home. God is making God's home in us. The Spirit is Jesus moving in. And that's why we can say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's why we can identify our lives with the life of Jesus because, because the Spirit is Jesus moving in. And when Jesus moves in, everything changes. Everything changes. So this begs a question. How do we know? How do we know that Jesus has moved in? How do we know that God has made God's home in us? Well, I think Acts chapter 2 gives us several different things that we can look at, and, and you can look at it too. Um, if you read the whole chapter, we, we can think, see things like this. Like when Jesus moves in, we have like this increased passion for community. We have like this increased passion for loving the world, and we can go on and on and on about this, but we're going to talk about three this morning. Anyone shocked? Three. So here are the things. When Jesus moves in, um, we have this sort of ability to become more hospitable to people who are different than we are, who are different from us. When Jesus moves in, we'll become willing to communicate God's story in ways that make sense. When Jesus moves in, we'll become less risk-averse and more, we'll become more courageous will actually be willing to take some risks in life. So we'll take those one at a time first. We'll become more hospitable. We'll just become more hospitable to people who are different from us. Now for this, I'm gonna reach back to, to verse five in chapter two. Right? Luke tells us this. Now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Probably a little hyperbolic right there. Or maybe the known world to him, right? There were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Imagine that. Talk about a, a diverse group of people. In the story, if you read it, we've got Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, and on and on and on. In other words, we have a collection of people here that's as diverse as it gets, right? Different backgrounds, different ages, different races, 
different nationalities, different social standings hear, all of them hear about the wonders of God in their own languages. And they're all gathered together in one place. And then Peter sort of gets up, tells God's story, and then at the end Luke tells us 3,000 of them joined the movement that day. Right? So out of many, they become one. They're, they sort of created this radical new community like that we call the church today where they gathered together. They were as diverse as they get. They had everything in common, he later tells us. No one had need, he tells us later on. And I think, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like this has to have major implications on our lives today. Like, I feel like we have to take this seriously. When Jesus moves in, we become more hospitable to people who are different than we are, who are different from us. It means that things that divide us, they don't divide us anymore. Things like race no longer divide us. And if there are people in this world telling us race still divides us, we probably ought to listen to them. Nationality no longer divides us. Gender doesn't divide us anymore. Social standing, yeah, it doesn't divide us anymore. It means that the younger generation will love and respect the older generation because they've been around the block a whole lot more times than the younger people, and they carry around so much wisdom. It means that the older generation will love and respect the younger generation because, man, they got so much energy. And they're exponentially innovative. And they possess a fresh new way of looking at the world that we probably ought to pay attention to. And those of us who are in the middle, we're kind of, we just love them all, right? This changes everything. This changes the way we treat family members. This changes the way we think about our neighbors. This changes the way we look and think and feel about our coworkers. Right? Get this. That means in this church, in this community, and I think in all churches, in all communities, we, we, it changes everything, Right? It means that we'll have Democrats and we'll have Republicans who get along and love each other. It's unheard of, right? It means we'll have liberals and conservatives eating in each other's homes and enjoying it. Imagine that. It means we'll have people who want no gun control having picnics in the park with people who want all kinds of strict gun laws and their kids will play with each other on the playground and they'll be friends. Crazy. Listen, man. Jesus people ought to be leaders here. Jesus people ought to be the ones who look at people who are different than we are and think to ourselves, they have different life experiences. They have a whole different perspective on this world. I probably have something to learn from them. Like, we ought to be leading the world here. Because when Jesus moves in, we just become a whole lot less anxious about differences between people and more curious and more hospitable to people who are different from us. And it only makes sense, too. Just read the stories about Jesus in this book, and what do you find? We can't ignore this. It's like his thing. It's like one of his things that defined his life. Who did he hang out with? He hung out with the people who were marginalized, who were pushed aside, 
But everyone said, you're different. You're on the outside. He's like, nah, man. Welcome. That's like his thing. When Jesus moves in, we'll become more hospitable to people who are different than we are. And let me tell you, that's not what we're known for, us Jesus people. Listen to the words of Shane Claiborne. In a world riddled with violence and racism and hatred, the Pentecostal vision seems to invite us not to settle for the world as it is, but to dream of the world as it could be and as it should be. Remember what we talked about last week? A whole new world has opened up and we're here to help make it happen. Here's the next thing. When Jesus moves in, we'll be just more willing to communicate the story of God in ways that just make sense. If we look at the Acts 2 story again, once the Spirit came, there were some noticeable differences in the people there. And the crowd began to wonder why. Like, they're being hospitable to all sorts of different kinds of people from every nation under heaven. That's different. That's weird. Some of the some of the people who were there and were witnessing these things, like, these people must be drunk. They love everybody. So they're thinking they must be intoxicated, right? So what does Peter do? He stands up and he says, these people aren't drunk. It's nine in the morning. Come on, man. Let me tell you what's going on here, right? And then he tells God's story in a way that people understand, and 3,000 people join the movement that day. Friends, that's just the way it is. When Jesus moves in, our lives are changed. We start living and acting differently in curious ways. We're more passionate about community. We're more passionate about loving the world and giving ourselves away. We have this sort of increased ability and desire to to become more hospitable to those who are different from us. And when that happens, people are like, whoa, that's new. That's different. That doesn't look like the rest of the world. What's going on here? And when they start wondering and asking, what will we say? What kind of response? What story will be there? On your lips, ready to roll out. Let me tell you what's going on here. Maybe it'll be something like this. Yeah, I know, it's crazy, right? Here's the deal. I I believe the world is good. Fundamentally good. And it's so beautiful. And I believe that, that all people in this world were made in the image of God. Every one of us has this divine spark within us. And it's so good. And the potential there for goodness is astronomically large and so amazing. But we look at the world and we notice that, you know what? It isn't the way it's supposed to be. We just have that feeling. It isn't the way that the things are meant to be. We human beings sort of have this ability, this propensity to, to sort of make a mess of things. But here's the deal. I think... I think God wants to make things right again because God loves this world so much. And so God decided to become one of us in the person of of Jesus to show us exactly who God is 
to show us exactly what, what love looks like. And he lived this life that was so full of, of love and grace and, and healing and forgiveness. And he, he led his life in such a way that embraced so many people on the outside that it started to, it started to become obvious that this new way of living was in direct opposition to the, to the systemic powers at work in the world. Like the people who had power were like, oh no. And because it was directly opposed to those powers at work in the world, they killed him for it because they had power and didn't want to let it go. And he sacrificed himself. But that wasn't the end of him. Three days later, he rose again. Death was defeated, and Jesus inaugurated a whole new world of possibility. The, rest of, the restoration of the world had begun, and because of what Jesus did for the rest of the world, I've decided I'm going to throw my, I'm going to throw my weight, my energy, my abilities behind, behind all that. I believe that God is working in the world, making things right again. And the way I live my life, the way I do things, the way I interact with people is just the way we together do this is just our little meager way at working with God for the restoration of all things. You want to come along? So when, when Jesus moves in, we'll just be willing to tell the story in ways that, that make sense to people. Not in ways that try to sort of coerce people into the, into the group. Do you know where you're going when you die? Not like that. It's profoundly hospitable and invitational, inviting people into something, something that's going on in the world that's just underneath the surface. God, putting all things back together again. Why don't you join us? Let's do this together. We'll be able to tell God's story in ways that, can, that make sense to people. Here's the, here's the final thing. When Jesus moves in, we'll become less risk-averse and we'll become more courageous. Look at what's up with Peter in this story. He's a totally different dude. Here's Peter boldly telling the story of God in front of everyone. Now, if you were to go back and read about Peter, particularly towards the end in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll notice that this is a huge difference. So here's Peter. He was the one who crumbled under pressure and denied even ever knowing Jesus because he was afraid. Nothing about his environment has changed since then. Nothing. He's still in Jerusalem. The same authorities who hung Jesus on the cross are still in power. They would have been looking for any opportunity for anyone to crush anyone who taught and loved and lived like Jesus did. And here's Peter just boldly standing up in front of all these people, enough so that 3,000 people could join. He's just telling the story of God, courageously just laying it all out. So if we're going to follow Jesus, I think it takes courage, especially if we're going to actually follow Jesus and live life the way that Jesus lived life. It takes courage. If we're going to display the kind of passion for community, if we're going to display the kind of love for the world, if we're going to, if we're going to passionately live out radical hospitality, if we're going to communicate the story of God in ways that people understand, my goodness, it's going to take courage. 
But that's what happens when Jesus moves in. Right? He rearranges everything in our lives if we'll let him. He'll change our families. He'll change our worlds. He'll change our ideas. He'll help us change our minds. He'll help us learn new things. He'll help us understand what God is up to in the world and in us and through us. Well, he'll transform the world. That's something I want to be a part of. How about you? Let's pray.